Today is going to be one of those interesting tidbit historical khatiras. As you're aware, I give a variety of sometimes I talk tafsir, sometimes seerah, sometimes Islamic stuff, and sometimes Muslim-esque stuff. This is one of those tidbits of Muslim history. Inshallah, some benefit. A few days ago, somebody passed away who wasn't given much attention in global circles. Yet when I read the news, I must confess that I felt an immense sense of sadness of Islamic history, a nostalgia for a past that once was. I didn't know the person. Frankly, there's not much to know about him or to genuinely respect in him per se. But the concept and the life story of this person represents something that I think is relevant to all of us. I refer here to the last Nawab of Hyderabad, Mir Mukarram Jah, who died in Istanbul a few days ago and was flown to Hyderabad to be buried close to the graves of his ancestors, the Nawabs of Hyderabad. Now, the irony of today's talk is that it's not about that individual himself. Frankly, there's not much to say. Truth be told, he didn't have that many contributions to the Ummah and for the course of Islam. And frankly, when you read up about his life, um, you know, the marriages and the settlements and the court cases, khair, let's leave all of that because we shouldn't go down this route of speaking about individuals who pass away. We're not really talking about him. We're talking about his story. We're talking about what he represents. We're talking about a legacy and how short-lived that legacy was and how shortly removed we are from this amazing, amazing story that the entire globe once upon a time was following. So let me take a step back. The Nizams of Hyderabad, the Nawabs of Hyderabad, all of you should, Indians are aware of the Nawab of Hyderabad. The Nawabs of Hyderabad, they go back to the time of Aurangzeb. Aurangzeb was the one who uh, instituted the first governorship of that region. And as is the case, that person became very powerful and he started a mini dynasty under the Mughals. He didn't break away. He was under the Mughals, but essentially he's a king in his own way. He doesn't call himself king. So the Nawabs of Hyderabad, they go back to 1700s. And they had an area of land that was larger than all of England, all of Italy. They had a massive province in India. And uh, this province eventually became the richest province of India and one of the richest regions of the entire world. Our story begins with the seventh Nizam of Hyderabad, the grandfather of the one who passed away. The seventh Nizam was the most famous one and the richest one. And his name is uh, Mir Usman Ali. Mir Usman Ali, he came to power in 1911, 100, roughly 100 years ago. Hyderabad was already wealthy. Mir Usman Ali made Hyderabad one of the wealthiest regions of the world. And in the process, he became the wealthiest person alive at the time. And one of the wealthiest people in all of human history. It is said that he is in the top five people in all of human history in terms of wealth. And when he was alive, he was number one in the entire world. This is Mir Usman Ali, the grandfather of the one who passed away. And one of the reasons for this wealth was because he, uh, he, he increased the production of diamonds from a particular region. I can't remember it right now. Golconda, something that I forgot where it is. You guys know? Is that right? Golconda? Yeah. So he banked on, pun intended, this region. He increased the production of diamonds and for a period of time, it became the number one diamond manufacturing plant in the world. And in fact, uh, he had a paperweight that was composed of a diamond 
that was itself worth like 50 million you know dollars he would have it as a paperweight that's how wealthy this person was when queen elizabeth the one that passed away when queen elizabeth got married this nawab gifted her a custom made necklace this was the necklace you would always see her wearing in any public occasion if you see any picture of queen elizabeth there's this beautiful diamond necklace that necklace was made by this Nawab of Hyderabad and gifted to the queen. And the queen loved it so much. It was the most expensive. It is the most expensive. She wore it on every official occasion. You will find it that's gifted by that, that Nawab. In 1937, Time Magazine, which used to be far more prestigious than it is now. Oh, young people understand Time Magazine once upon a time was extremely prestigious. And these days, it's, nobody cares as much. He's frank here. But Time Magazine put Mir Usman Ali on the cover of the magazine. This is 1937 and it had the title, The Richest Man Alive, The Richest Man in the World. This was Mir Usman Ali. We estimate, we would never know for sure, we estimate he was worth more than a quarter of a trillion dollars. Wealthier than Bill Gates and, you know, Steve, anybody that you know. For the time, he had the equivalent in our times of a quarter of a trillion dollars. And he had multiple palaces, multiple rose races, you know, even though ironically he himself dressed very frugally and he would eat very simple on one plate. So in his very personal life, he was very frugal, but he had a show of wealth and he did help his people and his people loved him. He introduced electricity. He uh, made for himself a number of universities, the Usmania College. He built it in Hyderabad. He was a lover of Urdu, Sher Shairi. Um, he introduced free education in the 1920s and 30s, mandatory free education upon all of the, uh, the children. And he even produced an English journal of Islamic studies, the first of its type, an English international journal of Islamic studies. And he called what he thought was the premier intellectual alive today who spoke English. You all know his name, Marmaduke Pickthall. And he called him to Hyderabad. And he financed him. Once upon a time, they respected ulama and dua. <clears throat> anyway, this is a joke here. And he financed him and said, Khalas, do what you want. And so for 15 years, Marmaduke Pikthal, the British guy, lived in India. And guess what project he did? Financed by the Nawab. Marmaduke Pikthal. Translation of the Quran for the first time in the English language. Sponsored by... And that's why he thanks the Nawab. If you read the introduction, if you go back to that book that you, we used to read back in the 80s and 90s, nobody reads that translation anymore. He actually thanks the Nawab for his sponsorship, for helping him out here. And the Nawab was so powerful that he actually had his own currency. He did not use the British Raj currency. The British Raj gave him semi-autonomous powers. Like he, had, he wasn't under the Raj. He was semi-independent. He had his own independent army. The only state under the Raj that has its own army. So definitely this person was a very, very interesting person. Now, we stop the story here, quickly move to another place in the world because the story is going to come together as you're already figuring out, I hope. In another part of the world, other developments are taking place. In the 1920s, the last Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. Yes, the two stories will merge, that's the whole point. The last Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Sultan Abdul Majid II, is seeing the rise of a new force called the Young Turks. This is 100 years ago from right now, literally, literally 100 years ago. From now, the last Uthmani Khalifa 
is seeing a rising secular force that hates the religion, that has no interest in helping Islam. Eventually they become powerful. Eventually they, they took over the parliament. And then in 1924, they abolished the caliphate. 198 years ago, basically. They abolished the caliphate and they expel the last sultan. They come, they cause the Ottoman Khilafah to come to an end. They officially declare there is no more Khilafah. This all took place literally 100 years ago as we're speaking. And they sent Abdul Majid out of the country with his family with nothing in his purse and pocket. Only the clothes on his back. In fact, he didn't even have a passport. And this gave him problems. It's so sad. He couldn't even find a country to go to because the king doesn't have a passport. The, the Khalifa doesn't have a passport. It actually gave him problems to enter into countries. Finally, he settled in Nice, France. You know, the borders of France. And the Red Cross, the Christian organization, gave him food stamps. For many months, he was struggling for food. The last Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And his news spread. The Red Cross, the Christian organization, published an advertisement to the Muslim world. Can you help your Khalifa? It's so sad. Can you help your Khalifa because we're running out of funds? Well, they didn't say Khalifa, but you know, we, he needs help and whatnot. And this advertisement reached India. Now the story is about to merge. Now, in India at this time frame, all of you who have studied in India, Pakistan, should know of the Khilafat movement, right? Have you remember this back in your high school days, the Khilafat movement? Can anybody mention some of the key figures of the Khilafat movement? Shokat Ali, Muhammad Ali, Johar, all of these people, right? They were a part of the Khilafat movement, okay? Abdul Majid Yabadi as well. So there were a number of people part of the Khilafat movement, right? They wanted to revive the Khilafah and protect it. They come across this advertisement and they go to our guy, Nawab Saab, okay? They go to the Nawab of Hyderabad and they say, do something. So the Nawab of Hyderabad then uh, decreed that for the rest of the Sultan's life, he's going to get a massive sum of 300 pounds a month. By the way, that was a decent sum back then. Okay. But 300 pounds, $300, that's literally worth $250 right now. The dollar is more powerful than the pound right now, I think, right? $270, $290. He said $300 a month would be given. Back then it was a little bit more, maybe, I don't know, 3,000. It wasn't a massive, but it was enough to live off of. And this Sultan, the last Uthmani Sultan, he had only one daughter, Princess Durra Shahravar, Durra Shahvar, Durra Shahvar, that's the Turkish pronunciation, if I'm not mistaken. In Urdu, they say Durra Shahvar, Khadija, right? So she, he, she, he only had one daughter. The Nawab suggested to marry this daughter to his son. Okay, now you see where the story is heading. The goal being that if Islam has a royalty, this is it here. The most powerful and rich dynasty of the Muslims and of mankind is marrying into the Ottoman Khilafah. This is now the bringing together, the only time bringing together of these two extremely historic, powerful, and the one side very wealthy, and the other side the most powerful once upon a time dynasties in marriage and in union. And he, he only had one daughter. 
the Shah of Iran, not the one you know, his father, the Shah of Iran, not the one in the 70s, his father, wanted her for this Shah of 1979. He wanted her for his son. The king of Egypt wanted her for his son. And the Nawab wanted her for his son. What a place to be in. Three Shahin Shahs and kings and Nawabs all asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. Of course, who's going to win? Guys who are studying in college, take note. Who wins? You know why. Okay, it's common sense. There's, you have to think of strategy and whatnot. So, the Nawab's son obviously gets the, 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 the nikah done. And the entire entourage from, uh, from Hyderabad comes to France in 1931. And a very famous historic hotel, which is still standing to this day uh, in Nice, it is considered to be one of the ancient hotels of Europe. It becomes the Shadi Grounds. And this became a media spectacle. Can you imagine 1930s? You have the Nawab's family. The Nawab himself did not come. The Nawab's family, entourage, the wealthiest family in the world, dressed like Maharajas, literally head to toe, walking in the streets in Europe, right? The photographers had a field trip, thousand and one nights, Arabian prince, this and that, the Muslim marriage. But here's the point. This marriage was celebrated around the globe all Muslims became happy at a time when there's very little joy happening, at a time when there's one misery after another, this marriage became a hope and a beacon and an optimism. Do you understand why? Literally, it was believed that from this union, a Mahdi-like figure might emerge. Like literally somebody, I mean, not the Mahdi, you get my point. I mean, somebody would come that would bring a sense of izzah and glory into the ummah. So from this marriage, our Mukarram Shah was born. The point that I want to bring up here, this very person who passed away a few days ago, this is the person. How short was this era? How briefly in the, in the recent past, literally one generation ago, this Mukarram Shah, Nawab Mukarram Shah was born in the 1930s, I think 33 he was born, 1933. So he passed away, he's almost 90, right? So 89 years old, he passed away. And the Nawab was so overjoyed, and again, this is surreal, he was so optimistic that this grandson of mine is going to bring about the Izzah of Islam, that he announced publicly that the Nawab ship would pass over his son directly to his grandson. Skip the son, the I'm, not, I'm not even mentioning the father's name because he's just a footnote in history. Skip the son and my grandson is going to become the Nawab after me. That was the hopes pinned on this individual. That something's going to happen because he has royal blood. If we have a royalty, this is the closest we get to that royalty. The entire ummah is like, you know, harking for joy, harping for joy, wondering what's going to happen of this. But khair, not even the Nawab could predict the future because the Nawab lived to see his own decline, just like the last Sultan, the last Ottoman Khalifa saw his decline. The Nawab began to see the talk of, you know, a partition and the British are going to leave and he was given the choice to join either of the two sides and the Nawab refused. 
And he goes, I'm not going to join either of these two sides. And he demanded an independent kingdom like the British were giving independent kingdoms in Africa, Namibia, all of these little kingdoms. He goes, I deserve my own kingdom. I'm not going to be subservient to anybody. It's the way. I mean, again, people are like this. And I mean, if anybody has the right to say that after his legacy and his wealth and whatnot, he felt I'm not going to be subservient to anybody else. But uh, Lord Mountbatten, the last viceroy of India, you know, king, the queen uh, refused or the king at the time refused that we're not going to uh, allow a mini state within uh, India. He still refused to sign. And when the British left, he was planning to go to war with India and he had the troops lined up to go to war but the Indian army invaded in September of 1948 they marched into the streets of Hyderabad and there was some skirmishes and fighting until finally he was forced to basically acquiesce and give up and uh, you know I have a, a, a senior friend of mine a very elderly uh, person whom I love immensely um, friend of mine in England, I will mention his name because he is also 89, 90 years old. Uh, his name is Abu Atif. Uh, and he told me that he was a child in Hyderabad and he remembered seeing the troops march in and uh, the Nawab's troops having to surrender. He remembers this. And I remember he told me this 20, 30 years ago. And I was just in shock. Like there's a person alive who remembers this, right? But subhanAllah, this is how quick this, you know, this, this, um, how recent all of this was. So in 1948, the British left, the Nawab had to surrender and he continued to live his life even though India took the majority of his assets, the majority of his savings, but they gave him enough to live a comfortable life. So he remained in Hyderabad till he died in 1967. The last Ottoman Sultan, Abdul Majid II, died in Paris uh, and Turkey refused to allow him to be buried. Even his dead body was denied entry. So eventually the king of Saudi Arabia, King Saud, had mercy and they allowed his body to be buried in Medina. He's buried in Baqir. He's buried in Medina and Baqir. So he also passed away. This person, Nawab Mukarram Jah, is that grandson that brought both of these sides together. He has royal blood of the Nawab. He has royal blood of the uh, Ottomans, but khair, qaddar Allah, in the 60s, he then left India, went to, of all places, Australia. Settled in Australia for like 30 years, in the outback, not even in a major city. Wasn't connected much to the ummah, went through his own issues, which no need to get into. And he then retired to uh, Istanbul a few decades ago, I think two and a half decades ago, lived a quiet life, and then passed away. So the khatir is not about him. May Allah have mercy on him, passed away our brother in Islam. The point really was just a brief reminder of some events that happened one generation ago. Just one generation. And again, to me, this is just mind-boggling. As a person who loves history, the very person whom the entire globe was happy at the marriage and happy at the birth and brought these families together, this isn't thousands of years ago. He lived in our times. People met and interacted with him. There is video footage of him. And he just passed away a few days ago. And one other lesson that really is an eye-opener. How quickly power and fortune comes and goes. How quickly from the richest man in the world to basically the grandson having almost nothing, literally, like, you know, because of all the things that happened in his life, I mean, subhanAllah, and even he himself, from the richest man to losing an empire, the Sultan Abdul Majid, not even being able to afford food, 
It is said that days would go by, there's no food in his house until the Red Cross gave him some food stamps in this regard. If this is not an ibrah for us, if this is not a lesson for us, where the most powerful and the wealthiest people, their entire you know, privileges change overnight. If that's not going to bring us a lesson of humility, then what will? In any case, that's our khatira for today. A brief lesson in recent Islamic history. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Until next time, Zakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Have you ever wished that there was a Muslim version of YouTube or Netflix? Well, we have created one. The One Islam TV app has no adverts and is safe to browse for your peace of mind. Watch hundreds of high-quality produced Islamic reminders, Quran videos, stories of the prophets, hot topic, debates, and so much more. Four to eight new videos are uploaded daily, inshallah. You can watch or listen to videos while your device is switched off. Watch videos on demand or download videos and watch offline. One Islam TV is 100% run and owned by Muslims, which means the small amount you pay for your subscription is a sadaqah jariyah, continuous charity for you, as we use the funds raised to continue producing more beneficial videos and reminders, inshallah. The One Islam TV app is now available on Apple devices, Apple TV, Android devices, Android TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. So you can watch on most devices and smart TVs. Download now for a free 7-day trial. May Allah reward you for supporting our work.